Good morning, guys. Oh, come on. This is like a college. This is a young person church. Come on, guys. Good morning. Hey, can I just gush up on you for a second? So we're in the, uh, the stage of a core team where we're just bouncing around on Sunday mornings, going to church to church. And like every church kind of has their thing, you know, like that's the, the church with the crazy worship or that's the church with the amazing childcare, that's the hipster church or, and I'm not just saying this, I love this church because your thing is Jesus. Like that's the church that's just crazy about Jesus. And every time we gather afterwards, when we come here, we're like, guys, we don't want to improve on that. We just want to multiply that. Like we need Salt City types church in every neighborhood in America. That's why we're planting a church. And so guys, you are part of a special church. And I just want you to know that this is a church that's crazy about Jesus. And I pray that I will help us get a little more crazy this morning. Um, Here's the question. Let's get just really honest here. Are you bored with Jesus? Are you bored with Jesus? Like, we probably wouldn't say it that bluntly, but let me ask the same question in a softer way. Um, How have your prayer times been going? How's your time in the word been going? The reality is most of us would say this morning that we're in kind of a, a dry season. We're a little spiritually dry. Translation, we're bored with Jesus. Most of us see Jesus kind of like, like our phones. Do you, remember, do you remember the first time you got a phone? Do you remember the first time you got a text from your friend on that phone? I still remember where I was sitting. T9 mode. It was a razor, I think. Maybe a sidekick. Do you remember the first time you went on the internet on a phone? It was exhilarating, right? It was amazing. I played in a game on my phone. And now what happens when you get a text? Oh, it's so annoying. Stop texting me, right? What happens on Instagram? You're just mindlessly strolling. You're like, I'm so bored. What happened to the phone? Familiarity happened. When we see something amazing, when we experience glory over and over, we get bored with it. So, so new clothes are fun for three or four wears and then they're boring. The new car is awesome for six months and then it's boring. And Jesus was exhilarating at a time and then our hearts grow dry. And yet what sets Jesus above everything else is that his glory is infinite, right? There will never be a day, not in heaven, when we will see all of his glory. We'll never look at Jesus and say, I have him figured out. It's always going to get better. And so if you're feeling a little dry this morning in your walk with the Lord, the remedy isn't try something new or switch that up. It's just look back to Jesus. Put your eyes back on Jesus again. There are infinite more facets and crevices and depths of glory to be explored and enjoyed. We just need to keep looking. So that's my prayer for us this morning. Open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Let me pray for us as you turn there. Father, it's a miracle if we look upon Jesus with awe. 
We need your Holy Spirit to look upon Jesus and feel a sense of worship and a sense of love. And so right now, through your inspired word, would you send the Holy Spirit into this very room, into our very hearts, and awaken us to the glory of Jesus Christ, the only one in all of creation whose glory is infinite. Meet us now in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Revelation 1, starting in verse 4, John. By way of context, just feel this. John was Jesus' best friend on earth. Rome tried killing John by throwing him in a vat of boiling oil. So oil boils at about three times the heat of water. Rome was so freaked out that they couldn't kill him that they exiled, to a, they exiled John to an island called Patmos. So John, sitting here, is an old man. He's exiled on an island. His flesh is, is probably melted down to the bone. And he's thinking about his best friend. Verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And here's our text. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. If you and I want to be delivered from the dust bowl of dry Christianity with fresh eyes right now, guys, let's just look at Jesus. Verse 5, John gives us three titles of Jesus, three things Jesus is, and the first one, you can see it there. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. Side note, a, a pastor friend of mine, Pastor Turner, gave me a few of these points, and so I just think it's important for preachers to cite their sources. But I didn't need help on this one. It's pretty clear. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean that he's the faithful witness? Well, think of it in a legal sense. What does a faithful witness in a courtroom do? A faithful witness is one who accurately reveals the truth. When God says Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, he's saying Jesus is the only one who accurately reveals the truth. Finish the verse for me. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 18, Jesus tells Pilate, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. You know, most of us in this room this morning aren't asking, do I believe in Jesus? We're asking, do I believe Jesus? Is he trustworthy? We live in an age of fake news, right? CNN, Fox News, guys, ain't no one telling us the truth. Everyone's spinning, everyone's biased, everyone is pivoting, no one is telling the truths. Your prof isn't telling you the truth. Your parents aren't telling you the full truth. Our friends don't tell the truth. The only one who tells the full truth is truth himself, Jesus, the faithful witness. So you want to know the real truth about people? Then listen to truth himself say in John 3, people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. 
You want to know the truth about heaven and hell? Then hear the truth in flesh say in Matthew 25, the cursed ones will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. You want to know the truth about how to be saved? Hear the faithful witness say in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. You want to know the truth about how this all is going to end for you? Listen to the truth teller in John 14 say, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, that where I am, there you may be with me. Maybe you love Jesus. Maybe you just struggle with what he said. But, but if he is who he said he is, then we must embrace every single word that came from his mouth because he claimed to be truth in the flesh. And I think it's more, more than interesting that John, at the end of his life, after seeing Jesus live, after seeing Jesus die, after seeing Jesus resurrect and ascend into heaven, the first thing that comes to John's mind was he was telling the truth. He is the faithful witness. Jesus is the faithful witness. That's amazing, guys, but that's nothing. Let's look deeper into verse five. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, here we go, the firstborn of the dead. Point two, Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? It kind of sounds like a zombie movie, right? Firstborn of the dead, part three. You know, it's like, what does this mean? It does not mean that Jesus was the first person to be raised from the dead. Who can shout out somebody who was raised from the dead before Jesus? Anyone? Lazarus, Lazarus right? Lazarus, uh, Jairus' daughter, widow's son at name. Jesus was not the first person to be raised from the dead. The word firstborn is prototokos, proto first, right? Prototype, tautokos, meaning, I love this, rule, rank, or my favorite, ownership. The phrase firstborn of the dead literally means Jesus Christ has first or supreme rule, rank, and ownership over, look, death. Guys, sometimes we have this picture like Jesus is just, he speaks softly and he loves his enemies and he sits in green pastures and pets baby lambs. But that's, well, that, that is true, but it's also true. Guys, Jesus pulls rank over death. Jesus is the ruler of death. He says he owns death. Now for everyone else, it's the opposite, Right? Doesn't matter how much power or money you have, death owns you. Julius Caesar, dead. Constantine, dead. Alexander the Great, dead. Lincoln's dead. Rockefeller's dead. Hitler died. Einstein's dead. Kennedy dead. And one day, LeBron has to die. <laughs> Kanye has to die. I know he doesn't think so. Taylor Swift has to die. And you and me... Death owns us all. Can I just confess something here this morning? Is this a safe place? Okay. So I played football in high school, and I was, like, really bad. So I was 220 pounds, almost pure muscle, and do you know what position I played? Punter. 
You know, in football, you're supposed to be agile and mobile and hostile, and I was kind of fragile, and it took me a while to run a mile. I'm over it, but (laughs) I was a below-average football player, but I was a better-than-average trash talker. Dude, I loved when we were up by three touchdowns, just a few minutes left, and what did I start yelling? Hey, hey, game over, right? Game over. Hey, start the bus. And then I run, run over to the, the fans and pull up my keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start the bus. And everyone pulls out their keys. Start to go home. We own you. Get off our field. Love that. <laughs> From the punter. <laughs> All right. Listen to Jesus in Revelation 1.17. I think it's up here. Fear not, for I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death in Hades. Guys, that's triumphant trash talk. Jesus is saying, game over death. Game over hell. I own you sin. Start the bus. Get out of here. And here's the beautiful thing. When we are united to Jesus by faith, we now own death. That's why we can trash talk death with the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, hey, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Catch this. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I know this is crazy. I know it sounds Christians don't die. Christians don't die. Everyone else dies. Christians don't die. Life to life, not a second in between. Because Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, when death comes to us, and it will, we can say, get on your knees, slave. Take me to the place where I long to be. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead. But it gets better. Better than not dying? (laughs) Yeah, it gets better than not dying. Go back to the text. Verse five, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Here we go. The ruler of kings on earth. Jesus Christ is the ruler of kings on earth. He's a sovereign ruler over all governments and gods, over all powers and peoples, offices, officials. Jesus Christ is the ruler of all kings at all times, in all places, right now and forever. Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the lamb, that's Jesus, and the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Okay, so this isn't just theoretical, theological, real talk. Who are the most feared and powerful world leaders right this moment? Aman al-Zawahari, Al-Qaeda leader who's killed thousands, will bow in a second when he sees Jesus. Abu Bakr Shakao, leader of Boko Haram, who killed 500 civilians and kidnapped 223 Christian girls at a school. Guys, he's going to fall at a flash 
before the face of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, leader of ISIS, most feared terrorist group in the world, will bow before the ruler of kings on earth. This is our Jesus. Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, how many knees? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. So your boss will bow. Your neighbor is gonna bow. Everyone in your family is gonna bow at the name of Jesus. You will bow, I will bow. We can bow willingly now and receive mercy. That's what we're praying for, for everyone. Or we can bow forcefully later and receive wrath, but make no mistake, everyone is gonna bow to this Jesus. Have you bowed yet? You will. Why not bow today? He's not going to give you a cold shoulder and say, it's about time. Guys, if you bow, he's going to run to you. And before you can get a word out, he's going to embrace you and say, let's throw a party. I'm so glad you're home. If you have not bowed yet, come up after service. We'll bow together and let's receive mercy. So who is this Jesus we worship? He's the faithful witness. He's the only one who accurately reveals truth. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the owner of death. And he's the ruler of kings on earth. The only one who everyone who's ever lived will bow. So we could go home right now. We could just call up the worship team because who Jesus is, is eternally enough to satisfy every soul. But it gets so much better, you guys. That's why I love the Bible. It just always gets better if you keep reading it. So let's keep reading it. Verse five, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. Now let's see what Jesus has done. That's who he is. Now let's see what he's done. First thing, to him who loves us. Jesus loves us. So I I realize that this feels like old news, kind of elementary stuff, but let's pray right now. Actually, bow your head. Let's pray right now. Father, give us fresh awakening to the beauty of your love. Don't Ever let your love for us get old and dry and boring. Reawake us right now. Please, God, in Jesus' name, amen. So not only was I not a great football player, uh, growing up, I could barely read. I was hooked on phonics until I was like 10 years old. So I hated grammar. I never got it. It was boring until I started reading the Bible. Guys, in the Bible, Grammar will change your life. Look at this. To him who loves us. It doesn't say loved us, right? It's not past tense. In fact, this is the only place in the Bible where the word for love, agape, is used in the present continuous tense. 
So I mean, frankly, who cares if Jesus loved us 2,000 years ago? We've been real idiots since then, right? Does he love us now? Does he love me in my mess? Present continuous means Jesus is loving us right now with nonstop, continual, constant, ongoing, never-ending, always-enduring love in our mess. So Christian, when you look at porn, Jesus is loving you, present tense. When you don't feel like reading the Bible again, Jesus is loving you, present tense. When you do that thing you promised yourself you'd never ever do again, Jesus is loving you, present tense. When you feel furthest from God, when you feel most dirty, most broken, most unlovable, guys, Jesus is loving us in that moment and every moment to come. Jesus' love for his people will never run out. It will never grow cold. Not an hour from now, not next month, not next year, 70 trillion years from now, Jesus will still be loving us with the same ever-present, ever-continuing love. And we should say, how in the world? How can he love us who are by nature children of wrath? How can he love us that those who who hate him and love darkness, how can he love us when there's nothing lovely about us? See it in the text. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Point two, Jesus has freed us from our sins by his blood. His love is present tense because his work is past tense. See it there, freed, past tense. Jesus loves us with radical, radiant, red hot, present tense love because he's freed us from our sins. And we should think, but, but I still sin like every hour. So how, how am I freed from my sins, past tense? Three Ps to help us. Three Ps of how we're freed from our sins. The first one is this, penalty. Penalty. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you will never, ever, 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 ever be punished for any sin you have committed are committing or are yet to commit. <laughs> you will never be punished for any sin you have committed, are committing, or will yet commit. Psalm 103 verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. How? How does he not repay us? See it in the text. By his blood. Because of his blood, 
And again, I know this is old news for some of us, but let's, let's be re-astonished. On the cross, God treated you, God treated Jesus like you, so that Today and forever, God can treat you like Jesus. His blood was the key. His blood is the atonement. His blood is the transfer that puts all of my sins on the shoulders of Christ and puts all of God's righteousness on the souls of repenting believers. It's the blood. By his blood, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe your only hope of standing right before God is Christ's blood, then the verdict has already been read over your life. Just, just receive this. Today and forever, loved one, you are freed from all your sins. All of them. Not only are we freed from the penalty of sin, we're also freed from the power of sin. Power is a second P. First Peter, second, uh, First Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The cross is not only about going to heaven. Jesus's blood also takes the chains that keep us into bondage to sin and he breaks them link by link, just pop, pop, pop. It's called sanctification. And guys, this means that we can look at our favorite sin and say, this is radical. No, thanks. Nope, not gonna do that. Now, like sin will still call you all the time, right? Until we go home to glory, sin will be calling you. But this means that we don't have to pick up, Christian. <laughs> we can hit decline. So what sins are gonna call you this week? I want you to think of it in your head. What sins do you know are gonna call you this coming week? If you're in Christ, when lust and pornography calls you this week, you can say, no. <laughs> Jesus destroyed your power at the cross. How about anger? Is that gonna call you? Anxiety, worry, because of the cross, you can look at those and say, no, never again. Jesus destroyed your power over me. I don't have to freak out. How about your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or someone at the office? Sexual desires, homosexual desires. That's my story. Is that gonna call you this week? Believer, you can say no because of the blood. You can say no, no more. Revelation 1.5 means... All who are in Jesus Christ are freed from the penalty, praise God, freed from the power, praise God. And last P, freed from the presence of sin. One day when we are with him, 
we will be saved to sin no more. Guys, we're one day closer. Do you know that no church has ever been closer to the return of Christ than us right here, right now? No church has ever been closer to being taken to that place where we will never, ever sin again. And he will do that because he has freed us from our sins by his blood. Isn't the gospel sweet? So I don't know how this is possible, but it it gets better one more time. Look at verse 6. And made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. So not only does the faithful witness love us with ever-present, ever-continuing love, not only has the firstborn of the dead freed us fully from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, and soon one day in glory, the presence of sin. But verse six says, the ruler of kings on earth has made us a kingdom. Kingdom of what? See it right there. Priests. Point three, Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests. So in the Old Testament, if you were a priest, it meant you were given the highest relational privilege with God. You got the the highest relational privilege with God. You were in charge of worshiping God. So if you were a priest, you would offer the sacrifices, you would intercede for the people. But do you remember what the highest privilege was? The high priest got to go into the holy of holies, the very personal presence of God Almighty. One day a year, Yom Kippur, or as we say in Minnesota, Yom Kippur, on the day of atonement, the high priest would actually enter into the holy presence of Yahweh. Some scholars believe they would actually tie a rope around the priest's ankle just in case God struck him dead, they could recover the body. It was a terrifying thing to enter the presence of God. Here's a picture of uh, uh, President Kennedy clapping as his daughter Caroline and John Jr. play around him. And, and you can see they're, they're in the Oval Office, arguably the most powerful room in the world. This is the very room where the most powerful man makes the most powerful decisions for the most powerful country in the world. I did a little reading. Um, the room has secret service everywhere, bulletproof walls and windows, and um, not even the highest Washington officials are allowed to get even close to the Oval Office. If you ever had the privilege to go in, you'd be asked to dress nice and stand up straight and get right to the point. The president is a very busy man. You can't dance in the Oval Office. All right? You, you can't act like a child in the Oval Office. Unless his child, right? If you're the president's child, then you can go in there and dance and laugh and be fully you because the president is your dad. This is what it looks like to be made a kingdom of priests. 
Through Jesus, we now have the highest relational privilege to almighty God. And God's not just God. God is now dad. So you march in there, believer. Dance away. Be fully you. I mean, look at Kennedy. He doesn't look annoyed, does he? Just smiling, clapping, rejoicing. Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Today we can enter into the very presence of God, the God of the universe, because Jesus loves us. He's freed us from our sins by his blood, and he's made us a kingdom of priests. Draw near, and he will draw near to you. So do we have any other application? John has one more point. See it at the end of verse six. To him be glory, that's Jesus. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As John is writing these verses, he's, he's so overcome with joy that he can't help but just write a little doxology, a little song of praise to God. In other words, John stops writing and he begins worshiping. And so that's just what we're going to do this morning. That's our application. I don't know what's heavy on your heart right now. I don't pretend to have a clue of what you walked through this last week. I don't know what you're working towards in your life. I don't know what script you're trying to write. But just for the next few minutes, would you, like John, just put down the pen and worship Jesus Christ. Salt City Church, Jesus is who this says he is. And Jesus has done what this says he has done. You can know the truth. You can own death. You can be freed from your sins. You can be loved in this moment. You can enter into the presence of not just God, but of dad. Let's pray. Father, the gospel is so sweet. And we didn't even scratch the surface. Forever and ever and ever, we will be looking at Jesus saying, there's more. He's better than I thought. There's even more. And so right now, once again, just as a church, we confess of our sins and of our need for Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Revelation 1. We place our faith and our hope in him and we draw near to your presence O god knowing you will be faithful now to draw near to us 
We love you. We want to love you more. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.